It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. Hope everybody's had a good week. Uh, I know I have. Uh, We're getting here close to the weekend, and uh, no better way to spend a Thursday evening than talking to my good buddy Chris Craig. What's up, David Spencer Hudson? And his and his camera, his camera is such a good camera. I mean, I can just, I, he's such a good view of you. I mean, I just stop uh, flirting. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. How have you been? I've been good. You? Same. Work's been kind of kind of hectic and crazy. I'm sure it has been for you too. Yeah, mine's not as much as, as yours. I mean, our uh, we've mentioned before on here we, without really saying exactly what we do. We're in healthcare and. Uh, I guess Dave's a little bit more on the front line, um, not really patient care, but a little bit more involved. And I'm, mine hasn't been as much, but I, but I am involved in the craziness going around. I mean, in all the meetings and all that, it's just not really in my realm so much. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. Are you ready though for like the new albums to come out that are being recorded right now? Because there's, I mean, we're going to get flooded. Yeah, I wonder that. You know, I, I don't, I know we hear that, but we'll see. You know, because I, I don't know. I mean, because it, it's it's it may be the like you said because they don't have anything. I'm, if you're a musician and that's your career, I mean, it's one thing if you're one of these bands that has to go when you're off tour and you have to go back to your day job. But if you're a if your profession is strictly music, what else do you have to do? Right. I know you'll. I know you don't like to agree with Eddie Trump, but you're going to have to agree with his tweet today. What do you if say? we don't get a new Guns N' Roses song after the COVID. We're not ever going to get any Guns N' Roses song. I would say that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty accurate. And I, you know, it, the whole thing with Guns N' Roses, I, I'll believe it when I see it. I believe it when I hear it. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know that we'll ever see music from them again. And in, in some ways, I don't know that we should. You know what I'm saying? Because is it going to be just a big disappointment? Yeah, it's just too much to live up to. Um, yeah, I think. Um, speaking of old bands that got stuff coming out, I know I don't think you're that big of a fan of them, but um, Metallica has released kind of the teaser and everything of S and M Part Two, um, which I'm actually really really excited about. I went ahead and ordered the deluxe package uh, yesterday, but um, yeah, I, I'm yeah, really I'm, excited about it. I'm not. Um, what? Well, let me ask you first before I say give my opinion of Metallica because we haven't really talked about that much on on here we really oddly enough we you have some but I really haven't given much of an opinion um 
What well, now? What is this going to be? Is it is it going to have some of the songs that were on the first one? Or it's going to mainly mainly newer stuff. It's going to have some, but it's going to have some. Um, like they do the Unforgiven Part Three off of uh, Death Magnetic. I don't have the set list in front. Death Magnetic. One of the things that's got everybody all excited is that they do Outlaw Torn off of Load. You know, with the orchestra. Um, and there's a song off Saint Anger that All Within My Hands. Um, and I think there's a couple off Hardwired. And I think that there's obviously some repeats, like Nothing Else Matters, Understand Man, For Whom the Bell Tolls, The Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, it, well, it, it, they, you know, they recorded it over several nights in um, in San Francisco. And the people, I, Metallica is like, is creeping into like a top five band for me in the last couple of years. And I, there's a couple of like, there's one really good Metallica podcast called Metal Up Your Podcast. And they talked to a lot of people that went there, you know, and just talked about how great it was. There's a lot of people that went the first time around 20 years ago and just talking about how much better it was. And I think they, they learned a lot about the process last time and were able to incorporate it this time. And uh, the they released All Within My Hands and Nothing Else Matters yesterday. And um, they sound really, really good. I just think it's really, it's really neat to see them be able to see, like, classical musicians play those songs. And I think some of those classical musicians realize, like, hey, this this isn't easy to play, you know? Yeah. No, I get it. And, you know, the thing the, the thing when it comes to what I was going to say about Metallica is, yeah, they're, I mean, obviously they're not even in, they're not even an afterthought. When I think, when you say they're a top five band, they're not even an afterthought for me. Um, that said, though, I think, I think Metallica was a really great thrash band. I really do. I think they were a great thrash band. Um, and those early records deserve the praise that they get. They, um, yeah, they're good. The black album, it, look, man, it's good. For, it, it's good. I, I, I'm not going to just sit here and you know, knock it because it's not thrash and it's not heavy. It's good. It's a really good hard rock metal album, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then, like, Load, I thought, had some good songs, but I didn't really like it. Uh, Reload, I thought, was awful. And Reload's a masterpiece compared to St. Anger. <laughs> yeah. um, and like I said, I think I think Reload's pretty awful. But uh, so I just uh, so I guess and, and I know you love Death Magnetic and, and, and Death, Mag- Death Magnetic, and I haven't listened to it a ton. I, I've I've heard it, and you know it's definitely a step forward. But then, you know, I look and I look at um, I look at the work like some of these records that and they haven't all been great. Don't get me wrong. But look at some of the records that with, at least with the big four that Megadeth was able to pull off. Um, that dystopia was just phenomenal. Um, the. Uh, God, I can't even think of the name of the one that I like so much. It came out in the early. The 2000s. world needs a hero. No, no system, uh, I think it's the system has failed. Yeah, it's the one with the scorpion on it. Yeah, I like that one a lot. So they put out some good records. Um, I know everybody, a lot of the Anthrax people, they may not love John Bush. I thought We've Come For You All was excellent. The last two records they did, Worship Music, uh, For All Kings, great records. You know, Slayer, uh, a lot of hardcore Slayer fans don't really like what they did, the last records. Um, I, I really did like a lot of the stuff they did. The last one wasn't that great. The one before, I'm, I'm struggling to even think of the name of it. Um, but uh, why can I not think of that one? But anyway, my, I guess my point is the other three bands, I think, have been able to have some good 
modern day records and Metallica's really struggled in that area and maybe Metallica too maybe it, it, I guess it's a little bit surprising too that it takes them that long to make a record that I don't think is even that good well hard, Hardwired if you narrowed it down to a single album was a lot more impressive than a double album but you see what I'm holding up I didn't know they made a book yeah is it, was it, is it just like the is it did it, I have it, a opinion piece for my the buddy, film? My buddy Chipper, when he came over into that Metallica podcast with me, he left it for me. He was the one that told me about the documentary. This one is it's called Murder in the Front Row because I know you people out there can't see it. It's basically it's uh, it's just all pictures. Oh, okay. Um, it's I think you would I think you would so absolutely yeah, probably, love it. So it's probably got a lot of stuff too. Then I would imagine not just the big four. He probably got a lot of Testament, Exodus, Overkill, and. You know, all those early bands probably probably even have. No, it's just strictly the Bay Area. Just Bay Area. So it, okay. it, it's uh, Megadeth, not Megadeth. It's uh, Metallica, uh, Exodus, Testament, um, Slayer. There's a little bit of Megadeth in there, um, but um, well, like, what about Death Angel? Because they're Bay Area, right? I think I, think I remember seeing. I mean, I think I remember seeing them on some interviews. It's it's been a little bit since I've seen the documentary, but uh, I know it's on Amazon Prime. You would absolutely, basically. I mean, a lot of it revolves around Exodus. Um, well, you know, we said that before. We said on another podcast that I said that you know, Metallica is always credited as the, you know, as the first. And I'm not the biggest historian of thrash. Uh, I like it, but I think a lot of people would make the argument that Exodus was before Metallica. You know, yeah, so. I mean, it's yeah, it's a lot of it is centered on Exodus, and then they. The, at the end, there's a thing that comes up the screen. It's Exodus. We still haven't made a ballad. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I remember you saying that on like one of, one of the last ones we did of this, and I'll say it again. Yeah, and you're not going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, they're, they are just an intense band. You know, and one other thing before we move on from Metallica, too. Another thing just kind of, I, I guess it's bad, is, so you, like you mentioned, Hardwired, the, the, the lyrics. It's like, poor James, man. That's the best you can do. <laughs> well, like, I really liked Moth into a Flame. I liked um, the uh, Atlas Rise that spit out the bone at the end. That's the heaviest thing they've done in probably since Injustice. It's just the lyrics are get uh, a little. Well, it's hard to be angry yeah. when you're worth three hundred forty million dollars. I looked that up. No, I, I I I know, but it's just like some of them are just they're just stupid lyrics. But anyway, hey, all right. So the you know the Bay Area was the kind of the the launching ground for thrash. And you've recently gotten in the last year or so into another style style of music, shoegaze. But they're not centered on one place, are they, Chris? Not shoegaze. I'm black sorry, black gaze. Black gaze. I'm black sorry. Yeah, my, so my, be, my apologies. So give me my weirdo part of the podcast. Um, man, I don't know why this music connects with me so much. Because I've said it before, I don't like black metal. I... I've tried some of them. Um, some of the more modern American ones that have a little bit more of the atmospheric, and it's not just all the nihilism. And I, I think some of it's okay, but like those early, like the Norwegian black metal bands and all, it's just it's just not for me. You know, I've I have tried some of like the bigger ones. I mean, about about the best I can do of like the old school ones is some of the Emperor stuff. I don't think is that bad. Um, it's just not it's not for me but blend some black metal and some shoegaze 
and put in some atmospheric sounds and whatever you else you want to do, I'm in. Um, you know, and I, and I do have to take just, this is a time too, to really give, I've thought about this. I think a, a lot of this, it came from when we had Casey on from Astronoid, you know, and knowing that he was in that band, when, you know, when we were prepping and Vatnet Viscar, I wasn't really into him. He said they were a black metal band and I'm like, and I'd already listened to him. I was like, man, but y'all didn't, you guys didn't really sound like black metal and they weren't as much of like this shoegaze that I've gotten into, but there were elements there. And I started exploring because of his band Astronoid, trying to find some more sounds that were like that. And that led me to Deaf Heaven. And then Deaf Heaven just, I mean, still my favorite easily. It's not even close. I mean, Deaf Heaven is one of my favorite modern bands for sure. But it had me start seeking them out. And, you know, this is the time where, David, you've probably been asked this too. And any of you, any of you listening right now, if you're big music dorks like us, you probably received this question before too. How do you hear this stuff? Well, man, it, it's it's easy now. I mean, the real challenge is when we were, you know, when we were 20 and we were discovering these bands. We still found our ways, and I won't bore people how we did that. But now, I mean, you can look on on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever, and they'll list you bands that are similar. Mm-hmm. And then you can search. You find that that I mean, there's a lot of names for this style of music, but the most p- common one that sticks is Black Gaze. And so I will just search Black Gaze bands. And I will tell you, it's pretty hit or miss. You know, there's a lot of misses. A lot of them I just do not like. But, um, you know, I, I started, I guess it was about a, a week, maybe a little over a week ago. I don't remember what made me look it up, but I started fooling around with some of these bands. I don't know. I don't even remember how this one came up, but, um, Oh, I saw it in the comment of something on, I think what it is, is I think deaf heaven. It was the anniversary of, um, the, the last record they did, um, ordinary corrupt human love that somebody put in the comments, the bands that they're into. And, and they listed a few of them. One of my tribe and man, I do not know where this name comes from. It's weird. It's stupid, but, an autumn for crippled children. And I loved it. And it is a stereotypical, just black gaze. Uh, a lot of times it doesn't even sound like metal at all until you hear the screeching vocals. A lot of it, I told you, David, it's, it's almost reminds you, it can almost remind you of like faith, pornography, cure era, the music. And then from there I went and I, another one I found that I like a lot. And it, which by the way, the, be a time for me to plug an autumn for crippled children. They have an, a record that's come out in 2020. I don't know when it came out exactly, but it's called all fell silent. Everything went quiet. It's actually a cool, you know, album title, but that one's really good. And then I like the one that they did before it a lot. It's called the light of September. And that one definitely has a lot of the post punk sounds mixed in it. And then I found one, a band who also, I think they've only put out two records, but they just put out, um, they just put out a new one this year too. The band's called A Light in the Dark, and new one's called uh, Long Journey Home. And it's really just beautiful, beautiful music, um, very melodic. And this is a long way to get to what you were kind of joking at, David. They're not really – I told him what's weird is – so you mentioned Thrash. Yeah, there have been some bands in uh, in other parts of the world that like, have, have had success, like the band Creator, Thrash band, where I think they're – 
maybe German. I'm not sure. There have been some bands that have had some success. And it seems like all genres, there are some that are outside of just the, like the U.S. and the U.K. But, man, when it comes to black gays, they're all over the globe. Uh, so the bands I just that, that I just mentioned that I was – the bands that I just mentioned were um, – Okay, so Def Evan is from well. First of all, Def Evan's from the U.S. Alsace, the band I like a lot, called they're they're from Alsace is from France. Um, I don't know if I, I'm probably butchering the name of this, but Lanthlos, who Rune Rune recommended me to me, Germany, an autumn for crippled children, the Netherlands, a light in the dark, Russia. <laughs> um, so I don't know how like the most the ones that I like the most, and some of the ones that are talked about the most, they just come from all over the globe, and um. I don't know. It's just it's. I'm I'm very intrigued by this genre, and when I find something good in that genre, it just it captures me. I know it's not for everybody. The music I can't I can't argue with like the quality of the music and it atmospheric and it just kind of a nice floating feeling a lot of times. It's just like those those vocals on Deaf Heaven. I'll, I'll quote our boy BC, <laughs> "Fire than hell." I mean, I was listening to it and then I'm like, "What's this wiki wiki?" <laughs> you know yeah yeah and i get it it's it's um i think my cousin said it best you know I, I, my my cousin is you know he's another guy that has great music taste that we've recommended a lot of stuff to each other over the years but he's metal's never been for him he never went through a metal phase it's just not not for him but we went to see when we saw asteroid in new york he was blown away by him and then I just thought, when I found out Death Heaven, it's like, well, let me see if he likes this. I'll tell you how much he likes them now. He tells me that he performs cases. He's a surgeon, performs cases listening to Death Heaven. Um, and, uh, Man, I'd, and I, I, I would wake up in the middle of that and think something had gone wrong. <laughs> the other day, I texted him, and I said, check out this band, another another black gays band that I like called An Autumn for Crippled Children. And he's like, all right, man. He's like, cool, thanks. He's like, I, I don't know why. There's something about this this music. I just love it. So They're, there you go. Somebody uh, doesn't like metal. I'm sure the surgical team really appreciates you, Chris. Well, oh, and what, yeah, and one other thing. What, I, I was going somewhere with this, and I left out the I left out the point I was trying to make. He's the one who said when he was first talking about Death Heaven. I think most of these bands are kind of that way. It's almost like when you talk about the screeching. It's not, it's not like it's a lead singer. It, it's a it's just another piece of the music that it's usually kind of sits almost in the background. Yeah. It almost just kind of sits in the background. You know, it's not in the forefront. You know, the mix doesn't put it way in the front. It's no telling and, what um, they're saying. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, they, there's one band, David, I, I'm not making this up. They're called ghost bath <laughs> and they're kind of that sound too. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think he has lyrics. He just makes noises. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and people say, well, that's stupid. Well, like you just said, I don't know what they're saying. They're saying in Death Heaven, yeah, some of them you can understand. Like Alcest, there, there's these days there's more clean vocals than there are screeching. Um, and so some of these bands that I mentioned do throw in some clean vocals. I'll, 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 I'll give that Alcest a try. Yeah, I think you might like some of since that. You and said I'll, clean, I'll, since you said clean vocals, I'll have to. T- I'll, t- I'll tell you one to listen to that. Basically, the I don't think the new one really has any of the screeching. But I, I can't think of the name of the album. But there's one I'll get, I'll recommend to you when we when we get done with this. So, Chris, I, you and I talked about this when we text about the other day. I'm gonna go ahead and make the announcement so people can look forward to it. We're gonna do a theme month for the first time ever. 
in August. Why don't you tell everybody the title of it, Chris? Well, man, you're gonna put me on the spot. Now, what did I? What did I say? Um, an August of Americana. I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, that's right. An August of Americana. Yeah, and, and David came up with the idea. He wanted to do something kind of uh, in the alt country realm, and so I just well, I just thought August, alt country Americana. They're A's, so an August. Yeah, so we we uh, in August for crippled children. Yeah, we uh we we kind of mapped it out the other day, and there, there's one interview in there that I'm I'm gonna uh I got to get set up this week, but um I think that's gonna be fun if you're a fan of like Uncle Tupelo, the Jayhawks, Wilco, Sunvolt, uh, Drive By Truckers, um, you know American Aquarium, um, all those bands. It's 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 gonna be interesting, and so yeah, and we want to try to we want to try to mix it up too. As you say, try to go from like the early, more the kind of like the little origins of it, and the way the way we see it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then some of the stuff that's being done today, where it's almost uh, these punk guys that are picking up the acoustic guitar and they're doing these Americana records. So, but this week, um, this is one I it just kind of came to me a couple weeks ago, and Chris and I, Chris agreed to do it. Um, we're gonna talk about big albums deep tracks and by big albums the criteria is it has to have sold at least five million copies worldwide um to be uh, uh you know considered a big album in our eyes and uh what we're going to do is just talk about some of these like really famous well-selling albums but some kind of like the lesser known um song so I, I guess we'll start it out with uh uh super unknown by soundgarden uh, this was the album that just really broke this band um that the way that if you look at the timing of the way Outshot, well, not Outshot, Bad Motorfinger came out, along with those other big albums, like they were just kind of a little bit off on the album cycle. And um, this was the one, you know, you'd heard about this one for about a year. Soundgarden's going to have this big album. They'd built this, you know, kind of underground following with their first couple albums, and they come out with just. I, I really like the album. I think I think it's about two or three songs too long, but if you take those two or three songs out, it's a really solid album. And uh, the lesser-known track that I'm going to uh, go with is the title track, Super Unknown. One of the things that draws me to this song is, uh, you know, they're a very kind of almost like sludgy band for the most part. And for them, this was kind of an almost, an up, not upbeat, but a very, very up-tempo song. And that has drawn me to it. Uh, Chris Cornell is obviously one of the, uh, the great vocalists of all time. Uh, he totally kills it on this album, and he, he does a fantastic job on um, on this song. Kim Thyle has the, is it Thale or Thyle? I never can remember. Anyway, Kim, Kim, the guitar player, uh, really kind of opens it up for him here. Normally, it's like we said, it's kind of sludgier and heavier. And, uh, there's a lot of melody to this one. And so uh, I do listen to Super Unknown, the album. Uh, every couple of months, I'll throw it on, and um, this is one of the songs that I listen to. And of all the like the deep tracks on it, it's probably my favorite. Yeah, and you know when it comes to the the whole Seattle scene and grunge scene, which by the way, now that we've gotten so many years past this, just, yeah, time to feel old. But now we've gotten so past all this, you know, the the '90s era. We've talked about this with good music. The grunge stuff was really, really good. There are some great records, and if, if you dig a little deep, since we're talking deep cuts, you dig a little deep and go to some of the bands that didn't quite make it. You know, like Mudhoney came close, but look at a band like Love Battery and some of these bands. They, they put out some, you know, Tad. They put out some good music. It was a good era and a, a good genre of music, and then it just got the 
the seven Mary threes and creeds and all that just hijacked it. Um, I, I, I guess you could say they became the, the danger dangers. Um, but I don't know why they came to my mind. First one, danger <laughs> danger, but, um, you know, Soundgarden was never one of the top ones for me and, uh, don't dislike them. And I, I like the heavier side better, the, the earlier stuff better. But this was, of course, this was the album that blew the doors open for him, and this thing was huge. Because I remember Black Hole Sun, when he, uh, that song was so big, and that's one that I, I never did like. I still don't like it. But but take that song out. There were some really good tunes on this record. Um, I did, of the ones we talked about, we agreed to, to discuss on here, David. I put the bet, what I could find, just quick Google. I don't know how accurate these are. But it said this old this album sold 9 million worldwide. Um your pick of Superhuman, Super Unknown. Sorry, Super Unknown. I, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's not a bad song I, for me. I just think that it has too much of the part of it, and what I'm about to say. I know it's going to sound sacrilege. I'm not say, taking anything about from the vocal prowess, how good of a, a singer Chris Cornell was. But when he gets a little bit too much of that high pitchy stuff, it can kind of wear me out. And he does a lot of that in this song, and that's what kind of turns me off a bit on this. Um, you mentioned the word sludgy, and one that I went with is a very sludgy song, and that's Mailman. Um, it's sludgy, I, but it's also groove metal. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's got it's it's one of the ones where it's not as much of the where I talk about the high pitch that Cornell will do. He doesn't do much of that, not until towards the end of the song. So that was my pick. Yeah, Mailman's a great song it's on the first half. That first half for sure of the album is just to, to me doesn't have any misses on it. All right. One of the biggest selling rock albums of all time, bar none, ACDC's Back in Black. The first album with Brian Johnson. Uh, most people can probably name every song on this album that's a rock fan. Uh, a lot of them get played on classic rock radio. Um, I don't. This one wasn't a single, but Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution, to me, is just so much fun to listen to. Um, just really... Uh, a lot of fun. It's the last song. It starts off real slow, and it just it's builds. It's got that good bluesy groove feel to it. Um, just a, a great song on a great album. I was going to say, this is a truly great rock and roll record. Um, yeah, it seems like the you go to any kind of big popular Coliseum type show or whatever, and you're going to see you know, at least 200 people in ACDC shirts. Um and in a way, people like us are just like, eh, get kind of annoyed by it. And and maybe we don't always give them the credit that they deserve. But that's a great rock record. I, I go more in the Bon Scott camp, but this record is truly great. Um, Back in Black, 50 million worldwide. I mean, wow. That's just, that's crazy. Um, you know, one thing before we get into like song pick, well, you know, I read the book and if you saw me, like David and I are doing this through Skype, so if you saw me looking, I'm trying to look over at my bookshelf and say, "What? Geez, what's the name of that book? And the um, book, Bond, the, uh, I think it says The Last Highway, the, the what they did about Bond Scott. You know, and I don't remember all the stuff that's in there, but one of the kind of mysteries that I never really knew about is, did Bond Scott write some of these songs and write some of the lyrics? And if you read in the book, it it, it looks like it's very possible that he did. Um, so I don't know. I just, I always, I find that fascinating. Like I think that they think a lot of it, the record was almost in the bag as far as what, what, what the, the songs that they came up with. But, um, 
Brian Johnson was one of the few times where a band was able to pull it off with a replacement. They found a guy that was similar, not exactly the same. And not only did he you know, keep it going, he elevated them as far as their, their mainstream success. Rock and Roll, Ain't Noise Pollution, really good song. Very bluesy song. Um, Angus, to me, is just such a good player. He uh, He's never going to be just a flash, a fast, blazing player. It's not his style. He's very bluesy, and I love his sound. I love his solos. Uh, I've always liked they sound cool. I went with Let Me Put My Love Into You. Um, I love that song. I love the I love the guitar in that one, especially that it's that riff that he has when um, he goes into that part, which is "Don't you struggle," uh, killer killer riff. Um, just like you said, a lot of known songs. Title track: "You Shook Me All Night Long," "Hell's Bells." Um, Have a drink on me. I love it. She that took the yeah, yeah, absolutely. 50, so there's fifty million albums. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's uh it's one that I'm sure is still selling like crazy now. Then in, in the way, in comparatively the way records sell now, uh, or let's say being streamed like crazy. <laughs> however you want to do it. All right, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Injustice for All by Metallica? Well, this, yeah, this one um we're not really saying who picked which on this one, but this one I do want to say that it was just for the point of a conversation that David picked this, and this one surprised me a little just because I thought for sure he'd go with the Black Album because it sold, I'm sure it sold much more, and it was more mainstream success, and it had some hits on it, a bunch of MTV hits. Um, but I think, if I'm trying to think from David's perspective, he probably thought, I, I know David recently did for, for this podcast something, he did one on the, the Black Album, so that's maybe where it comes from. He wanted to talk about something different. I'll let him give his side to that. But this was an album he wanted to do, Um and the reason I say that is it's not really loaded with hits. I mean, it's almost the entire record is a deep cut, you know, because people don't really know them. Because even the well-known songs, you take out one for the masses, and nobody knows any of these songs. Right. Um, but it did sell. It sold a lot more than I would have ever thought. I got eight million worldwide. And um, one thing I just want to add about this, I, as, as people who listen to us know, I recently fi- finished. Um, Roger Merritt's book of uh, Agnostic Front. And, you know, they were really big into, especially uh, really James and Kirk. They were really into a lot of the stuff that was going in New York, going on in New York, the hardcore scene, all of that. And I think Kirk was a really big hardcore fan. And they were very friendly with Metallica. They'd hang out with them. And they'd, and uh, Agnostic Front put out a record and he remembers telling them when they were talking about their new record that they had coming out, he was telling them about their new record. Their record that they put out is called Liberty and Justice for dot, dot, dot. And in no time, the new Metallica record came out and it says, and justice for all. And Roger says, now I'm not saying they, they completely stole the idea, but it seems coincidental. I mean, it's, it's at least coincidental. That'd be a big coincidence. So, they probably did borrow that, in all honesty, because Liberty and Justice for that's a cool title. And Justice for All, that's a cool title. So enough about that. Since I said in Justice for All, I went with the title track, In Justice for All. Uh, when we did a our favorite songs of Metallica with uh, the boys from Potter in Hell, I guess that was probably a good year ago, I, um, I picked this as one of my favorites. I... Uh, 
probably, I guess it's probably my favorite on the record. And a lot of these records we're going to talk about, the deep cut is my favorite, the deep cut that I picked. But it's just a cool song, um, especially I, I love that when it gets about six and a half minutes, that breakdown that's in that song where it gets really slow. They, uh, they are so good at that. Master of Puppets, uh, this song, I mean, there, there's countless songs where they do that. They are really good at that. Yeah, uh, I agree with throw that. Throwing a cool break breakdown in the middle. Yeah, you know, I, you know, people know I'm I'm kind of nitpicky about how records sound, and so th- that the the way this was recorded has always been kind of off putting to me. But a couple years ago, I went on uh, LiveMetallica.com or whatever it's called and downloaded live versions of all these songs and made my own Injustice for All based on live songs. And um, what's odd about that album is it sold so much, and that really was. You know they were doing arenas at that time. Like when they came here, they did the you know they did a you know eight thousand seat arena with the Cult, um, and before the Black album came out, they had only been played on ten radio stations in the whole country. But yet their following was so big, and this was you know this was very very complicated song structures. The lyrics were very mature. This is almost a prog rock album, um, and uh, so you obviously like one and. Uh, Oh gosh, Injustice for All or Big Song, Harvester of Sorrow is a great one. One of the ones I've always liked though is The Frayed Ends of Sanity. And I like the, I know some people kind of give them a hard time about the beginning where it's like, oh, yo. See, that's the part oh, I don't like. Yeah. I, I don't know. I always kind of like that. But obviously, this song's about schizophrenia and it's, uh, I just think it's great. And uh, they hardly ever, ever, ever play it. A lot of times they'll, I think they'll, if they close with uh, Inner Sandman, Sometimes they'll do Afraid Ends of Sanity Tease, and you know, but they they very rarely ever play it. They really, outside of um, Blackened and One, which Blackened's kind of rare, and they, they they play one of course every show, and a couple of times uh, every tour they'll sprinkle in the song Injustice for All. They largely ignore this. I think they don't enjoy playing a lot of these songs. They've talked about how hard they are, you know, and that's kind of how that Black album came to be. They wanted to write simpler, quicker songs. But um, I, I have gotten past the issue of how it's recorded and um, um, really enjoying it. Yeah, it's a good album. I told you when we were having the uh, it, it, the whole my little my few minutes talking about Metallica. I don't like the uh, the second half of their career. Um, they were a great thrash band, and when we were kind of getting ready for this, and and we had made our song picks, uh, I, uh, I I run and. Um, and so I was going to go for a run, and I thought, all right, I'm going to listen to Injustice for All. I really was enjoying it. It's a really good record. It's a good thrash record. Really good. It is. It is. All right. So the next time we're going to go with is the comeback album for U2. They had done Octung Baby and then done uh, Zuropa and uh, the Pop album. And those just were kind of all over the place. And then Pop, the Pop tour was this big bloated tour that was just kind of a mess. And they went away for a couple of years. And as Bono has kind of famously said, we saw an ad wanted for the greatest band, rock band in the world, and we applied. And they come back and put together their most focused album since Octung Baby, uh, an album loaded with hits, and came out right around 9-11. The song Walk On was kind of a... A big deal with the 9-11 stuff and then uh, Beautiful Day of course they played it at the uh, Superdome for the uh, first Super Bowl post 9-11 but there's a song on there called Kite that I think is just gorgeous this is a beautiful song 
And it turns out, I think it's more or less about his father, who I think was maybe uh, fighting cancer at the time. Go and listen to this song. This is just beautiful. And this is like you 2 at their best. Like, it, it's just a beautiful song. And uh, it got played a lot on that tour, and I, I think it's gotten dropped for the most part. But um, I really like that album, and, and this is kind of one of the unsung heroes of it. I, I got it. Yeah, and... Uh... I gotta say, I haven't listened to this album in years, but I know I, I bought it when it came out, and I really liked it. I, I remember it. You talking about like the comeback album? I didn't like. There was some stuff that I liked between Octoon Baby and this record, but overall, I didn't like albums between them. And I really liked this album, and um, it was released right in the time when album sales were just about to stop. It was just, that was just about to stop. Mm-hmm. Hadn't quite happened yet. And this one sold 12 million worldwide, is what I got. And I remember listening to this, the song that always just got me, because I just was captivated by its beauty, is also Kite. And we uh, we have 10 albums we're going to talk and just kind of pick on this. And that I think that's the only the second one. The only, that's only one of two that we pick the same song. Beautiful song. Yes, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. You'll enjoy it. All right, Chris, Alice in Chains, Dirt. What you got? Well, how many how many albums did it sell? Lowest one of any of them we're going to talk about. It barely made the cutoff. It made the five million, and mm-hmm. that's worldwide sales. Um, but yeah, this was a big record, you know. And I always think about this record, and I think we've, you, I'm sure you've seen this, David. I've seen it several times. Janie Lane talks about going into Columbia Records, and he goes to meet with the president of Columbia. And, you know, he was used to, on the back wall of his office, this, whoever, I can't remember who the head is, but whoever the head was, had this huge, huge picture of, I guess it was Cherry Pie. You know, and Warrant was, man, Cherry Pie was a big record. And they had just released two big records in a row. And then they come out Dog Eat Dog. And he's going to meet with the record president, and behind him is dirt. And Janie Lane says he was just kind of like, uh, "It's over." Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. It's like, wow, this we're we're done because he knew that music wasn't anything like what they did. And um, this was uh, this was when Alice in Chains were really start. They like Super Unknown. This was their breakout record. Um, they definitely had flirted with some success with um, with Facelift and. Uh, yeah, I was familiar with Facelift before this came out. I, I like Facelift. I like the heaviness of it. And this one was darker. One can say even moodier, but not quite as heavy. It wasn't really – it was more of a grunge record. It, it, it was less metal, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, this is one that had great, great singles. They don't always get it right with singles. Man, they got it right with this one, um, because there are so so many on that on that record. Those sing, the, pretty much all those singles I just love, and so I start looking at the deep tracks, and it, it's almost always with an album that you, you find a deep track that you like as much, if not more, than the hits. This is one where, like I said, I think the singles were the best on the record. So I start digging and I start looking, well, what is my favorite? What do I like off of this? And this is one that I always did love. This is one that, you know, back when I'd try to, you know, I'd try to make my mix cassette to put on for the, for the gym. 
I'd have damn that river on there. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a killer song. It's a, it's still got that. It, it could go on face. This song could go on facelift. And that's my pick. Um, what a riff. I, I really, I really what like a, what a riff on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody knows that this is one of my favorite albums. Jerry Cantrell is one of my favorite musicians on earth. Um, and, and just this album is so just hauntingly beautiful and unfortunately became true. Um, and you know, this is drug addiction had, had really started taking over for both of them, really Jerry. Well, and Mike Starr, he was, you know, he eventually died of an overdose. Um, they were, you know, having their issues and Lane was going down a, a dead end street. Uh, and so I picked the song Junkhead and it's probably the slowest, sludgiest song on here, but it's the lyrics are just so, they're great, but also disturbing. It's basically about being a, an addicted drug dealer and it's got the, the course, what's my drug of choice? Well, what have you got? I don't go broke and I do it a lot. Um, you know, it talks about, uh, let's see, um, seems so sick to the hypocrite norm, running their boring drills, but we're an elite race of our own. The stoners, junkies, and freaks. Are you happy? I am, man. Content, fully aware. Money, status, nothing to me because your life's empty and bare. Um, just, um, it's really, I don't know, really dark lyrics. And uh, they played this, I think, on maybe the singles uh, premiere party. Uh, they didn't play it a whole lot. But uh, I, they may have played it on their last show that they played as a band. But anyway, I love that album. And, and Lane Staley is just was such a good, he was such a good vocalist. And we talked about, you know, you talk about a lot of times about like Brian Fallon and his ability to emote. Like Lane Staley could make you feel it. Yeah, Lane Staley just had a unique sound. You know, he, he stood apart from a lot of those well, he stood apart from everybody. I was about to say he stood apart from the grunge vocalist, but he stood apart from everybody. I mean, he's just one of those very, very... He's my favorite vocalist to come out of that scene. Um, of all of them. I mean, Eddie Vedder, to me, doesn't have a great voice. See, that, it's very, it's I, very I, limited. See, I think he actually had... I, I might would agree with you had he not done the Into the Wild soundtrack. I think he sounds amazing on that. But anyway, we're not talking about... Pearl Jam, so we'll, we'll move on. All but, right, uh, so we go from dirt to the 180 degrees from dirt. Dr. Feelgood, what you got, Chris? Well, this one, um, you know, it takes me back to, what, sixth grade, man. I mean, this this album was, um, it was huge. And it's not my favorite Motley Crue record, but I do really like it. And, um... Yeah, I mean, I, I you definitely can say it's the last great one that they that they did with Vince, and uh, you know, and it's definitely not one of the. It certainly, it may not be my favorite, but it's certainly not one of the weak albums that they put out, and um, it had some good deep cuts on it, great great hits on it, um, and some so that some of these deep cuts were really killer. It sold six million in the U.S. and I, and I got it doesn't look like it sold crazy across the world i didn't get worldwide numbers when i when i searched it i didn't spend a lot of time searching but i saw that it only went gold in the uk which was very surprising i don't think i think they're kind of like van halen they weren't really big internationally well that what i looked at would say you're correct um so the big ballad on this album the big time hit was without you great song. which it's a great song and i think some of 
Honestly, I think it's some of the best play that Mick Morris has ever done. Great, great playing on that song. Um, but one, to me, that I probably I like, I, not probably, I do like more than Without You. I realize why Without You was the, the, the hit. I get it. But I like Time for Change. And it takes me back, you know, to the, the little music dork in all of us and all. We can remember these little things. And as I've said before, it's to, you know, kind of, I guess, quote Butch Walker from his book, music puts a, a time stamp on your brain. And you don't, you know, when you hear it, you instantly go back to that time. This does it for me. Sixth grade, I, I, a lot of times I think schools now, it's, you know, K, K through five. Mine was K through six, time for change. I was moving to middle school. I, no joke, I remember listening to this at the end of my sixth grade year, and that's what I was thinking. And it'll always make me think of that. So it's, um, I guess I get a little sentimental about it, but uh, it's a song I loved then, and I still love this song. That's the one I picked on it, too. Um, I've always been drawn to it. It's an oddball song for this album because it's the only real serious one. Uh, on the whole thing it's in the rest of the album is pretty much a party album um and really was this glam's last stand well you know i, I, I guess, guess i'd have to i, I guess, guess i have to say not because i guess this poison was, flesh and blood came out afterwards yeah yeah well well and then you had we just talked about warrant think about how big that that's true was. that's true and, yeah. and those were those were the big sellers you know and let's not forget bands like you know Cinderella and Skid Row, um, yeah, Skid Row, and then you got Slaughter and Firehouse had their monster hits. Bands were still selling, but um, this was what eighty nine. This was getting yeah. towards, you know, we always think of it being killed off in the nineties, and it was, but it was like not about around around ninety two, ninety one, ninety two when Nirvana really came in. They came in because that was ninety one, and it took you know a year or two to slowly just kill it off. So eighty nine, we're right at the end. Yeah, and without that album, we don't have the black album um, because of Bob uh, Bob Rock. So, all right, you, I didn't even realize this. And I, well, obviously, I should have known, but you two makes uh, their second appearance. Oct- yeah, we Octune Baby. Uh, I mean, that's his. If you're if you're ranking the top ten albums of the nineteen nineties, that's in your top ten. Uh, hit after hit after hit i remember chris you know you and i used to listen obviously growing up to rock 103 and it seemed like on my drive to school every couple of months here's the latest single off of octung baby just a massive album that uh i really love like all the recording and production techniques they used on it it was a complete departure from uh the joshua tree and the joshua tree made them really big uh one of the biggest bands in the world and this just cemented it for life uh, they're, you know, they were always going to be doing, um, big arenas and stadiums after this. Obviously you've got, uh, mysterious ways one who's going to ri- uh, ride your, uh, wild horses, all the singles that came from it. But one song that I've always liked just because it's kind of funky sounding and it's kind of different is, uh, trying to throw your arms around the world. Um, to me, it's just, a uh, a, a, a great U2 song. But it's a little bit different, you know, with the way, some of the drumming techniques on it and the bass line and everything. Uh, I listen to most of this album all the way through. There's one or two I may skip, but uh, just a massive album. 
Yeah, it's a cool chorus on that song too. Um, yeah, so this one was really big. Sold 18 million worldwide. I, uh, you know, I, when this was coming out, because even though we talk about all the glam that we listened to and how we grew up with that, you know, there was still bands that I listened to. Yeah, we talked about this a lot, David. You you were you were stuck like really in that one like segment of music, and I did step out a little bit. You know, whether it be listening to some New Order or you know listening to U2, and so I didn't really like what I was hear hear all this this talk that U2 is good. They've completely changed their sound and all that. I didn't like that. I, I thought I was going to hate the record, and I didn't. And um, you know, again, timestamp on your brain. You'll really appreciate this one. The album hadn't come out yet, and it was it was just uh, this was a Friday night on Rock 103, Mysterious Ways, which is maybe my least favorite song on the album, but uh, at the time I loved it. And uh, that song's playing. My uh, I, I, my best friend at the time had was spending the night. We were. I mean, what grade? I guess I was eighth grade. I think when that was when that was out. Came out ninety one, I think. I think I was eighth grade, and um, I remember you'll you'll get a kick out of this. I remember listening to this song, just loving it. It was still so new, and and my, my mom was driving us to uh, drop us off over at the Pink Palace Museum to watch the Led Zeppelin Laser Light Show. <laughs> I still remember that. Um, but uh, I went with um, what is probably my favorite song on the album and that's ultraviolet light my way uh, i think that's a that's also a beautiful one um but i'll tell you it's it didn't even though it's my possibly my favorite one it, it didn't win by as much of a margin as you would think because when you talk deep tracks uh, i can make an argument for so cruel man that, that's another one that's just different and that's a man that's a good song ultraviolet yeah, they played record. they played that when we saw them remember the, I, man, it's hard for me to remember the set list. And that's all, when so I don't um, really remember. The, um, the the microphone came down from the ceiling and it was like glowing purple. And uh, yeah, I remember that because it's rare for them to play that. Yeah. All right, Chris, one of your favorite albums of all time. So I'll let you do the honors. Nirvana's Nevermind. Well, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but but I get but I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, and you know it's funny. You mentioned. Um, which one were you talking about? You didn't really listen to. It, it, I don't know if we were already recording or if we talked to this before. Was it Soundgarden? You were saying that you didn't really listen. I think it was before we started recording. You said you didn't start listening to them until no, our Alice in Chains. One of the two. I listened. Said, I started listening to Alice in Chains after it was when the uh, uh, Last Action Hero soundtrack and they had the song "What the Hell Have I On." That's what made me an Alice in Chains fan. Okay, so like with Nirvana, I, I liked it at the time when it was when Nirvana was out, and and I I had never mind. I liked Nevermind. But I like this album so much more now than I did then. I like everything Nirvana's done so much more now than I did then. And and in some ways, I think maybe it's because at that time, we're coming from the glam era and we're getting into this. It's all different for us. But, you know, down the road, I would become really drawn to punk music. And I know this isn't a punk record, but there's a lot of punk influence on this record. And there's it, it can... It's something a record that I think punk fans can listen to, metal fans can listen to, rock fans can listen to. I think it's got all of that in there, and maybe that's why I have this fondness now for it. But um, a lot of people, Nirvana fans, seem to go in utero 
because it came out. They wanted to make more of a raw sounded record. They didn't want them. It was, it was, I guess it was a little, it was angrier. It was rawer, um, less mainstream. And that's what a lot of people say. That's the one that they love the most for me. It's never, it's never mine. And that's shockingly kind of a unpopular opinion. But this album, this is another monster, monster seller. Yeah. Over 10 million in the U.S. alone. 30 million worldwide. Wow. And um, another one with just tons of hits on it. Um, you know, I mean, come on. One of probably my favorite station on Sirius Radio is named Lithium. That's kind of everything you need to know right there. Right. About what this how important this album was to to the 90s and just music in general. I mean, it, it brought that tidal wave and just changed music. And I went with um, probably a little more of a... Actually, we both went with more mellow songs on this record, but I'm with, I went with Polly. I uh, I love that song. Uh, I just love the way it starts. The sl- I, it's a great tune. That, that's what I was going to point out. For an album that's kind of known for being so kind of like loud and aggressive, you went with Polly, and I went with uh, Something in the Way, which is the last song on the album, which is really very moody uh, song. And I, I was doing some research on it, and a lot of people think it was talking about when Cobain was actually homeless in the uh, little town in uh, Washington. But then people started dissecting it and talking about, like, was he talking about sleeping under a certain bridge? And then uh, this one guy chimed in, he goes that bridge like rises with the tide. He would drown if he slept under it or whatever. But originally that, uh, a, a bulk of the song was recorded, just him sitting on a couch, strumming the guitar to Butch Vig. And he was like, this is my vision of how the song sounds. Um, I love albums that have mellow closers. I, I either like for an album to have a very mellow close closing song or go out on a real big bang. I don't like, like, an, like, like a, yeah. Yeah. Like a seven, eight minute, just banger. Yeah. And, uh, like, my favorite album of all time is Southern Harmony Musical Companion by the Black Crows. The last song on there is a cover of Bob Marley's Time Will Tell. It's just, you know, acoustic guitar strumming. I just think that's great. And so I, I always, like, one of the things I used to judge an album a lot of times, what's the last song like? Because I think artists that really are confident in their playing and their songwriting aren't scared to put something on last. Um, I, I, this is, a, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've talked about my issues with this album in the past, but th- I really like this song a lot, re- regardless if it's on Nevermind or not. It's, it's a good song. I, and that's just, this is one that for me, there's not filler on this album. Um, and I do like that song a lot. And I'll tell you too, I can't think of the name of this, but you can, you'll easily be able to find it by just doing a search. It was either on Netflix or, or, uh, prime. I can't remember which one. But there's a documentary, and I don't remember all the details, and I'm not going to take up five minutes of just um, 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 trying to remember it. Go to this documentary, and, and David, and anybody listening, if you haven't seen it, I think you'll really appreciate it, because the theory that maybe he was murdered by Courtney, man, they point out some, some – it, it makes you think. I will tell you, it really, really makes you think. Um, so if you want a good, almost like really a, a, a crime drama, then watch I this. I watched, it, the, I watched the one that was their home movies and like it freaked me out. It, yeah, I know what you're talking about. This doesn't do a lot of that, but it, it's it's um, 
like one thing that people don't know, the only thing I, I, I will that I'll say about this that I was unaware of, Kurt Cobain was playing he was playing on divorce divorcing um Courtney Love and she knew it. Interesting. And where do you think the wealth was between in that couple couple? It wasn't with Hole. Uh uh-uh. it wasn't in it, it wasn't in Malibu, the song Malibu. So, so the, I guess what I would say is there was a motive there. Interesting. So I think you'll enjoy that anyway. Interesting. All right, the next song, the next album is R.E.M.'s Out of Time. The band that's synonymous, more or less created alternative rock, indie rock, um, decided they wanted to be big. Uh, They did that on Green to some extent, and then they just, they went massive on this album. But I don't think they sold out on it. They actually stripped their sound down a whole lot. It went acoustic, but they went through the stratosphere. Uh, you can make the argument they 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 did everything not to become massive stars. You, you could can't make that argument. You could, uh, but th- th- boy, how many did it sell, Chris? I'm gonna say nine million. Um, let's see, four point five US, but here's a big one. Uh, um, eighteen million worldwide. Massive in Europe, they are. Yeah, this this was a big big record. All right, your pick is kind of an interesting one. I went with Country Feedback. Um, you know, this record has a, you know, it's completely different for R.E.M. And there's there's some pretty uplifting stuff on there, you know, and there's some 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 moving stuff. You know, Losing My Religion, you know, none of us really knew back then because we had never heard this, but so this was supposedly an old phrase of yesteryear. It's about having a crush on someone. Um, you look at the... Um, Look at shiny happy people. Um, look at radio. You know the radio song, the first song on there. Uh, there's some very happy sounding songs on this. There's a lot of that. Country feedback ain't happy. <laughs> That's not a happy sounding song. Um, it's uh, it's just kind of another... it's just kind of him riffing some lyrics, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't. I don't even really know all that what he's saying on it. But uh, but that, that that's kind of what every REM song is. You know, Michael Stipe was never the. His lyrics were not always super clear, but uh, it's different. It's a very different song for the record, and it's a very different song for REM. But you know, a, a song that in some ways kind of mirrors that from several years later from an album that we love, Evo the Letter, and, and that song is just insanely good. And I think you'll agree with me on that, but yeah, I um, I love this record too. And I, and when I, this was um, probably when I first started getting into REM, and um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's one that like their big breakthrough album is. Uh, man, I, I could tell you my my favorite REM album. I, I usually go. I pretty much always go with Life's Rich Pageant. But could this could you make an argument for this one? As my favorite? Yeah. It's it's to me it's that good of a record by them. They're massive, massive breakthrough. A lot of times those aren't the great records by bands that you love that have had a long career and then they bust out with the one. It is in this case. That's one of their best ones. All right. So the reason I said that interesting pick, you sent me a list with Endgame. It was an accident. Oh. Endgame was an accident. Sounds like that's kind of an odd one uh, to, to go with. Um, it was that was a, that was a total accident. 
the the thing that takes this album from being a good album to a great album is the last half of it. There's no there's no there's no let up. Whereas a lot of albums toward the end there are uh, country feedback, uh, Texarkana. Um, God, that's a good song. Uh, I went with uh, "Me and Honey" just because I think it's like a great pop sounding song. Uh, you have the cool Mike Mills bass uh, licks going on at the front of it, and it's uh, what's her name from uh, B fifty twos. Kate, so is it Kate? Is it McPherson? Something like that. She's singing on it, and if you watch them play it live, Mike Mills comes close to like replicating her voice. You know, uh, I, I've just uh, I've always liked this song. I, just, I thought it was I thought it was a unique, kind of quirky, uh, on a, and it's a good song on a like you said, a great album. A record without filler, and I love that song. And actually, I think this is pretty cool, David. Um, I don't know if you really caught on to this, but we picked the, the last two songs on the record. Interesting. I'm next. To, I'm next to last, and you're last. Yeah, interesting. Um, our our last album is from one of Chris's uh, favorite artists. So I'm gonna let him do the honors. All right, gonna go as uh, Stevie will say. It's boss time. Um, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. My first cassette tape. This one right here. First one I ever. I I, I remember being. I believe it was a Target where he got this. Um, this record. Man, this record was big. Wow. I mean, this is one of the biggest records of our lifetime when it comes to, to rock records. Because you think about it. Yeah, we talk about Back in Black selling you know, 50 million. But that was 1980. We, were, we weren't really into music yet. We were so young. But when this one came out, I guess I was probably around kindergarten first grade somewhere in that in that range and i remember it was it was almost like he kind of set a style in a way the way that grunge does there was the blue jeans and the cut off like flannels and the headbands and i don't i think we forget that he had that kind of an impact that people were kind of emulating him that's how big this record was and you know it's it's got this is what's crazy to me. Seven top ten singles. We talked about Injustice for All. You could pick almost any song on there. The truth is we didn't have a lot to pick from on this record. But I thought, well, you know, I think it'd be a good one to do. It's a huge seller. And, um, you know, I remember putting on our, on our uh, Twitter when this one came out that, yeah, it's the big, massive album. It's... It was all over pop radio. It was all over MTV. And you look at those early records, you know, Darkness in the U.S. I mean, I'm sorry, Darkness, Darkness on the Edge of Town. You look at um, The River, these brilliant, brilliant records before he like, blew up. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Born to Run. So it's almost like, well, this pop side of him that got blown up. He had a song like, you know, Dancing in the Dark and all. It's like you want to be like, well, yeah, he kind of, it's not as good, whatever. Screw that. It's a great record. It's a great Springsteen record. And I went with um, No Surrender. It's, it's my favorite song on the album. It's probably, it's way up there on my list of my favorite songs by him. This is a song that, you know, uh, a lot of, I mean, people have covered this like crazy. The, uh, the Live from Hyde Park, I'm pretty sure you've seen that, David, where Brian Fallon sings with him. If you, it, Brian Fallon and the Gaslight Anthem. It, you guys, if you haven't seen this, 
look up Bruce Springsteen, Brian Fallon, No Surrender. When Brian Fallon, man, when he gets in the, I get chills when he does that. Uh, Hot Water Music did an amazing punk, almost hardcore version of No Surrender. Um, it can't really screw that song up. Well, this could be a Brian Fallon song. Agreed. I mean, it's got all, you know, Fallon, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Fallon gets all this from Springsteen. They're both real big about singing about nostalgia in a positive light. Like, yes, we were, we're young dreamers. The world is ahead of us. You know, we're, you know, we've got, we've got this time and we're going to, you know, live it for what we can. And we have these big dreams about our life. And then subsequently they can also sing about looking on back that and realizing like life didn't turn out good for me. Um, but yeah, if you told me this was a Brian Fallon song, it, it would make total sense. I mean, it's got all, it's got all, it, it hits all his bases. It makes me think of, do you follow the, um, you follow hard times? I don't think so. It, it's like the onion, but it's, um, about music, largely punk, but not always. And there's one little fake story and Brian Fallon liked it and he thought it was great. There's, it's like a little cartoon kind of like drawing of Brian Fallon with a, I think he has a flashlight and he's at a, a garbage can. And it says something like the headline is something like Fallon, Brian Fallon caught digging through Springsteen's garbage again for lyrics. <laughs> I mean, you could totally, you could <laughs> totally believe that. Yeah. Like, so this is like when, when we said we're going to do this album, I went to my hometown. I love that song, but I think it was actually a single. It was. So, yeah. so then I was like, all right, I got to dig a little deeper. Um, <laughs> I'm going down. I like it because I think it's uh, it's Springsteen kind of paying tribute to '50s music slash rockabilly music. Like that, this could be something Elvis could have sang. And I mean, Springsteen loves the '50s. I mean, he talks about all that. He loves Elvis. Yeah, he loves all of that. Uh, and and just you know, I think like I heard somebody say he wrote like 50 or 60 songs for this album, and they he turned it over to the the record company they go do you have one more in you and dancing in the dark is what came out of that but uh i thought this song could have been uh a single just it's so poppy and upbeat but it's got that classic 50s feel to it i agree with that this could easily be a single i love this song i think this i think i think um bobby jean could be a single i mean it was nothing but that record is just almost like our greatest hits for if you if you think about it at the time there were two records that came out the end that honestly the entire album could have been a single thriller and this. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, with this album too, if you, um, with, with this one, geez, I just lost train of thought. Um, Oh, you know, the, you look at the, the throwaways and all on some of the outtakes of this record from that are on tracks, you know, it, this is one of the most prolific songwriters I mean, we've ever had. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Uh, he's thrown away songs that were just, ended up being massive hits. Blinded you know, by the uh, Light. <laughs> Blinded by the Light, which he recorded, he, he at least recorded that one. But, um, but God, what's the, the Pointer Sisters big hit? Um, is it Fire? I think it is. And then, um, then he gave, um, he gives... He gives Patty Smith more. Uh, he, he always tries to give her credit on it, but the uh, the song "Because the Night" he gives her credit because he hadn't finished the lyrics. But come on, I mean, he pretty much had the song done. He had the he had the mu- the 
the arrangement. He had a lot of the lyrics. Um, so yeah, we're talking about two songs right there that he didn't even record. Yeah, he and uh, he and Prince made a lot of money by giving their songs to other people. Um, yeah, you're right about that. Interesting, interesting. Well, this uh, this one was a, a fun one to do. I really enjoyed this. I kind of enjoyed I going back too. and listening to some of these big albums that I haven't listened to in a while. Same here. I, I enjoyed doing this as well. And yeah, there's a lot of other records we could have done on this, but you know, we tried also. We we wanted to do records that we liked and that we were both familiar with. And there's some stuff that we could have put on there that sold, you know, 20, 25 million, but maybe we just weren't a fan of the record. And I'm not going to name bands, albums right now, but anything we just want a fan. Anything by the Eagles. <laughs> massive, massive sellers right there, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we could, massive sellers. Because when I was looking this up to see album sales, wow, they, they had a couple of them way up there. And I'll tell you another one that kind of surprised me was so high up that uh, as far as sales, was uh, Green Day's Dookie. That, man, that thing put out, a, that, that pushed a lot of copies. I think that was the little engine that could. Yeah, man, that pushed out. That That's one where that record label was like, geez, man, you know they did not expect that. No way. All right, everybody, so that's going to wrap it up for this week, and uh, we'll try to maybe uh, get one more in before we do our August of Americana series, which I'm really looking forward to. And I think if you're a fan of music, you're gonna look and uh, you're gonna enjoy it. I think we got it laid out in a, a, a sensible manner, and maybe turn you on to all to some some good music. So uh, Chris had the honor this week of playing us out, and he picked off uh, "Born in the USA," "No Surrender." Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>